Genesis chapter 25, there's 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, so chapter-wise, we are halfway through uh, the first book of the Bible. And uh, Genesis chapter 25 is significant in that it represents this major transition uh, from a one character to another. Uh, we have this major transition between the story of Abraham is officially coming to a close in Genesis chapter 25, and, and now it is becoming about Isaac and his family, really his son uh, Jacob. Uh, if, you're, if you're reading a story or watching a, a movie, uh, to, in order to understand the plot, in order to understand the purpose of the story, you've got to know who the main character is. My sons are, are learning this uh, in school. That, that Oftentimes, when we're reading a story or when we're watching a movie, one of them will ask, is he the main character or is she the main character? Because if you can understand who the main character is, then the rest of the story sort of fits together. If, if you're Watching a movie focused on the wrong character, you know, so, so, you know, uh, an extra in the opening sequence. If you're wondering, well, whatever happened to that person? Well, you're going to kind of miss the the point of of the story. And Genesis is is like that as well. Although we have been looking at the life of Abraham for 13 chapters now, um, Abraham is not the main character. And although it all started, the scene opened, you know, after the creation of the world, it zoomed in on Adam. He was not the main character. And although there was this, this man, Noah, uh, who built the ark and, and rescued himself and all of these animals, he was not the main character. You probably think, okay, so now is, is Isaac the main character? Has all of this been sort of the, the prequel, the, the backstory to get us to the, the main character, Isaac? No, it's not Isaac. Is it Jacob? No, it's not, it's not Jacob. The main character in the book of Genesis is God. Uh, and, and, and what is true about the book of Genesis is that unless you recognize that God is the main character, the story won't really make any sense. The plot won't make any sense. The purpose of the book won't make any sense. And, and the book of Genesis is a lot like our lives. That if you are living your life as though you're the main character in your story, you're going to miss the point. God is the main character in the book of Genesis and God is the main character in your life. And what we're going to see from this story, we're going to sort of see three generations, Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and Esau. We're going to see this transition from these minor characters in the story, and we're going to learn more about the main character, God. So let's, let's bow our heads together and pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, you are the way maker, and we pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, for those who are facing impossible situations, Lord. I pray that you would fill us with courage and confidence in the kind of God that you are. And Lord, Lord, we want to be able to trust in you, but it's difficult to trust in someone you don't know. And so help us to know you on a deeper level so that we can trust you more and more. And we pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted and that the, the Holy Spirit would have uh, full control over all that I say and over the hearts and the minds that, that can hear my voice right now. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So, uh, three things you can learn uh, about our, our main character in the book of Genesis today. The first one is this, is that God's purpose extends to all generations and to all nations. God's purposes extend to all generations and all nations. I'll pick it up in uh, chapter 25, verse 1. It says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Abraham took another wife. Now, Abraham was 137 years old when Sarah died, but Abraham lived for another 38 years. And so uh, Abraham remarried after Sarah had passed away, and they had six more children. Verse 2, she bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim and Letushim and Lemim, sorry, Lumim. Verse 4, Phil, get up here and help me out. Uh, verse 4, the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. So he's got all of these other kids, all of these other grandkids. Verse 5, though, says Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Isaac was the promised child, and the inheritance all went to Isaac according to God's plan. This wasn't how Abraham wanted it. Abraham really loved Ishmael. But God said, no, this is how it's going to be. God is the main character. His purpose is what's going to stand. Verse 6, though, Abraham was generous, it says, but to the sons of his concubines, that would be Keturah and Hagar, Ishmael and the other six sons of Keturah, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward towards the east country. Notice how east is, is doubled up there. It, it's repeated twice. He sent them eastward. Yeah, we understand. To the east country. Yeah, got it. He went east to the east country. Why the repetition there? Well, remember when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden? What, what, where, what direction did they head? They, they, went, they went east. And then when Cain killed Abel and was under the judgment of God and under a curse, where, where was he sent? He, he was sent to the east. And that whole Tower of Babel thing, where, where, what direction were they heading? They, they were heading east. So going east is not a, a great direction. It, it, it's sort of this symbol in the book of Genesis of going away from the, the promises of God. But they didn't go away for, uh, forever, as we'll, as we'll see. Verse 7 says, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Verse 8, Abraham breathed his last. I want you to say that sentence in your mind, but replace the name Abraham with your name. Terry breathed his last. Irene breathed her last. Jeff breathed his last. Tashone breathed his last. Betty breathed her last. It's gonna be said about all of us. Those lungs right now, that heart that's beating, at some point, every single one of us we're gonna take our last breath. I know it's the weirdest thing about being a pastor. I'm always reminding people that they're gonna die. It's just sort of an occupational hazard, I guess. I know you're all having a great time, but let's just, let me just remind you that we're all mortal and you're all gonna stop breathing at some point. But it's, it's helpful. 
175 years is a long time. He lived a long time, but it eventually came to an end. And sometimes we sort of forget that, that we're mortal, that this isn't all that there is. Abraham breathes his last, and, and, but Abraham went on living on into eternity. Jesus said that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of, of the dead, but the God of the living. And so there's a life beyond this life, but we need to understand that this isn't all that there is. One day, we're all going to breathe our last. In Abraham's case, he lived to a good old age in verse 8, an old man and full of years. God's being faithful to fulfill his promises. He told Abraham back in chapter 15 of verse 15, he said, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Abraham lived a long and full life. God fulfilled his promise. Again, this, this, Abraham's not the main character. God's the main character. God made the promise that Abraham would live a long life. And the main character came through on his promise. Then look, look, look at what happens at verse 9. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him. It's the other interesting thing about death and funerals and unresolved conflict within families because everyone has to go to the funeral. Remember Ishmael laughed at Isaac. The apostle Paul clarifies that he actually persecuted Isaac. This was a, a teenager picking on a toddler. But they both had to go to the funeral. There, there were obviously some unresolved things. Maybe, maybe you listen, this is such a good motivation for resolving things within your family, within your friends, within your church as quickly as possible because someone close to you might die and you're both gonna have to be there. And at that moment, it can't be about you and that other person. It can't be about that conflict. You gotta resolve that. And, and so, Ishmael and Isaac, again, they, they had to stand there side by side. They're probably pallbearers. They, they, they would have had to both share some words at the memorial service. It's vitally important that we resolve these things. Notice Abraham's burial place, the cave of Machpelah. This is, the, this is what Genesis chapter 23 was all about. Remember, he, go, he goes to the Hittites and he acquires this property. This is the, the first part of the promised land that Abraham and his family actually possessed. It's very, very important. To sort of set the scene here, so Abraham died at 175. I can show you my homework later, but... Uh, if you look all around the rest of the book of Genesis, Isaac at this time is 75 years old. Jacob and Esau, uh, who are born in the next chapter, this isn't chronological, they would have been 15 years old. They would have been teenagers when their grandfather passed away. And Ishmael would have been somewhere between 89 and 91 years old at Abraham's funeral. Verse 11 says, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. God's purpose extends to all generations. God had, had made a promise to make for Abraham to be made into a great family and that the blessing was to be, was to be passed 
on and we see God coming through on that promise. Verse 11, God blessed Isaac. God's the main character, not Isaac, not Abraham. God's the one doing the blessing. This has been God's intention right from the very beginning. God blessed Adam and Eve. And they were supposed to rule over the whole planet. He gave them dominion. They were supposed to fill the whole planet with image bearers who would bring glory to God. God's purpose, the main character's purpose was to bring blessing. God blessed Noah after the flood. God blessed Abraham. But his whole purpose in blessing Abraham was so that all the families of the earth would be blessed. He zeroed it on this one family, this one person, so that it would extend to future generations, but not just chronologically, but also nationally and geographically and globally. The blessing of Abraham on this one man, this one family, the whole purpose was to be a blessing to all nations. Verse 12 says these are the generations of Ishmael. While Ishmael gets brought up, he reappears at the funeral. Now we're given Ishmael's family tree. And it begins with this phrase, these are the generations. And so there's 10 of these statements in the book of uh, Genesis. It started with these are the generations of the heavens and earth, the generations of Adam and Noah. And, and now we're looking at the generations of, of Ishmael. Verse 12, he's described as Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian Sarah's servant, bore to him. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Abdeel, and Mibsam, and Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Nephish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. They were 12 princes. This is fulfilling what God had told to Abraham and what God had said about Ishmael. God told Abraham when he was wrestling with this whole Isaac versus Ishmael scenario before Isaac was born, God said, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of a, a multitude of, of nations. And then about, specifically about Ishmael, God promised he shall father 12 princes. Look at verse 16, he fathered 12 princes and he made him into a great nation. Verse 18 says, they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. To be over against means to be in continual conflict. There was this, this ongoing conflict between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, and those other six sons of Keturah. So you've got the sons of Keturah, they're sent away to the east, and you've got Ishmael with this continual conflict with the offspring of Abraham. But God's design and God's plan isn't that this would be permanent they were sent away in verse 6. They were living over against in verse 18, but not forever. In Isaiah chapter 60, we have this prophecy that says, The nation shall come to your light, speaking to the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. It says, uh, Your sons shall come from afar. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of, notice this, Midian, one of the nations mentioned in 
Genesis 25, and Ephah, all those from Sheba, also mentioned in Genesis 25, shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. See, the purpose of God extends to all generations and extends to all nations. These nations were sent away because the blessing was for the descendants of Abraham, but the purpose of the blessing on the descendants of Abraham was so that Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, would come to be a blessing to all nations. And so that those who were sent away and those who lived over against in conflict could be brought back and could be brought in peace. And then from a New Testament perspective, there's this other really interesting thing. Let's go to the next slide. They were sent away to the east. And the prophecy also says that they will, when they come back, they're going to bring something with them, gold and frankincense. People coming from the east with gold and frankincense, does that sound familiar? I'm just going to leave that with you. You see, God has a purpose and a plan. These nations, these people were sent away all for the purpose of coming back. And, and this is what Jesus, the resurrected, nail-scarred Savior of the world, Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28, verse 19. So Abraham had eight sons, 22 grandsons, and Two more on the way. We're going to look at the birth of Jacob and Esau in a minute. But we see that God's purpose extends throughout all generations and to all nations. So if God's the main character of Genesis and God's the main character of your life, and if God has a purpose for all generations and all nations, I got to ask you, as a minor character in God's story, what are you doing to spread the gospel and the blessing of Abraham to the next generation? And what are you doing to ensure that the blessing of Abraham extends to all nations? Because we might have a purpose and a plan for our lives, but our career or our family or our health or whatever it may be, but again, we're not the main character. Our priorities need to line up with the main character's priorities. And so again, what are you doing to ensure that the next generation knows about the blessing, knows about Jesus, knows about the offspring of Abraham? Think about the announcements this morning. Uh, Deborah mentioned uh, our Hope Kids Camp, uh, which, is, which is coming up. And so are you going to take a week this year to invest in the next generation, kids who live in this neighborhood, kids who are from this church, to invest in them and to teach them. Are, are you on the rotation for Hope Kids? And if not, why not? Well, that's not really my thing. Okay, well, is this about your thing or is this about God's thing? Are you the main character or is God the main character? Because we all gotta be about the next generation. And and that temple tour thing, this is such an amazing thing that, that Chris Carr and, and Pastor Chris and Hans Ostrom and some other missions leaders in our, in our church, we're, we're, we're going to be learning about other religions that, that they, they literally have temples like right down the street all around us and we, we live in the same neighborhoods, we're co-workers with people who believe differently from us, they're from other nations, 
But they need to know the gospel. But in order for us to reach them with the gospel, we've got to understand how they look at the world and how they put things together. And so we're going to be learning and then visiting and listening and then training. These are two things that we can action in the next seven days to make sure that our purpose lines up with the purpose of, of the main character. So God's purpose extends to all generations and all nations. Look with me at verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. We have here another, another toledot, another, um, let's go to the next slide. Uh, so now we've moved from Ishmael's genealogy now to Isaac's genealogy, which is really more about Jacob. Just like the genealogy of Terah going all the way back to Genesis 11 was mostly about Abraham, the, the story of Isaac really is ultimately about Jacob. Verse 20 says, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padamaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean to be his wife. We learned about that in the previous chapter. Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Because she was barren. Now jump down with me to verse 26 when the kids actually arrive. At the end of verse 26, it says, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So he's 40 when they get married. And they don't have a child until he's 60. So there's barrenness for 20 years. Meanwhile, Ishmael's having 12 kids. The people who are outside of the promise and the blessing of God, they seem to be, again, you, you pay attention to the genealogies in Genesis. It always seems like the people who are far from God are winning. Rebecca, remember what Rebecca's name meant? It, it meant blessing of 10,000. And, and her family sent her off saying, man, you're going to have like 10,000 kids. And she thought, I, I just can't wait to be a mother. I mean, it's, it's in her name. And yet, for year after year, they weren't able to conceive. They struggled with infertility. This parallels Abraham and Sarah's story, doesn't it? The only difference is with Abraham and Sarah's story, we're told about the agony over nine chapters, right? From Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis chapter one. Here, we just get it in five verses. But it's the same story. So often, God's just working in the same ways. Here's the other thing you need to know about our God, because Abraham and Sarah aren't the main characters. Isaac and Rebecca aren't the main characters. The main character is God. And here's what I want us to understand about God, is that God's purpose is fulfilled through delays and difficulty. We don't always know why, and we won't understand until the by and by. <laughs> until we're able to finally see the big picture, but that as God fulfills his plan and his purpose in your life, one of the means by which he uses to accomplish his ends is to bring delays and difficulties into our lives. And for Isaac and Rebecca, it was barrenness. It was infertility. Abraham and Sarah struggled in the same way. But look at how Isaac 
and Rebekah both respond. Verse 21 says that Isaac prayed for his wife. Didn't scheme about some concubine or do you have any servants around that I can sleep with instead of you? No, he prayed. And it's not really specific. I don't think that he prayed after waiting for 20 years. He thought, maybe I should pray about this. I also don't think that he prayed, you know, the first time they tried to have a kid and they weren't able to and then didn't pray again for 20 years. What I imagine is that they prayed continually about it. This was something that was on their heart, trusting that God was a way maker. It it seemed like there was no way, but they were trusting in him. They prayed Verse 22, even after she conceived, it says that the children struggled together within her. So it was a difficult pregnancy. There there were no midwives, there were no doctors, there was no ultrasound. She had no idea what was going on. She didn't know she was having twins. And, And so she's in agony and she's struggling. Even the pregnancy itself, even with the answer to the prayer, waiting 20 years, now she's finally pregnant, but it's not an easy pregnancy. And she inquires of the Lord. She prayed. I mean, if only Isaac and Rebekah kept up this tendency of leaning on the Lord, while they were struggling with infertility and while Jacob and Esau were in utero, it it seemed like prayer was so vital to their walk at this point in the story that when the kids get older, we don't see them pray about anything, which really messes things up. But they're, they're praying in the midst of their struggle. So encouraged by a Philip's message last week from James chapter one, Isaac and Rebecca are going through a trial right now. Are you going through a trial? And is your trial something, God is delaying something that you want to have or that you, 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 you believe needs to happen in your life? Are you going through a season of difficulty? Is there a struggle in your life? Remember from James chapter one, we gotta have the right attitude to count it all joy, trusting that God is going to use this to produce steadfast in us, to have the right perspective, to ask God for, for wisdom because he gives without reproach, and then to have the right perspective about trials. Knowing that in the end, in the by and by, there's a crown of life that will come to us as we endure. Don't give up. So they struggled. Here's God's answer in verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. He says that two nations are struggling in her womb. And this is Esau, who's going to be the father of the nation of Edom, and Jacob, who's going to be the father of the people of Israel. And these two nations continually struggle with one another. The original audience would have understood this because as they're exiting the promised land, they go to the people of Edom in Numbers uh, chapter 20, Moses sent messengers to the king of Edom, please let us pass through your land. But Edom said to him, you shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. 
Now, there's a, there's a lot to this story. They, they also said, hey, we won't eat any of your food. We won't drink any of your water. All we're looking for is just safe passage. And Edom says, no. And they threat military action. So the people of Israel understood this. They also knew, though, how they were supposed to treat the descendants of Esau. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says, you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. But the struggle continues. King David fought battles against, against the Edomites. Psalm 137 and the whole book of Obadiah recount how when Israel got off track and Babylon started attacking Israel, do you know who supported Babylon and also joined in on the attack? The Edomites. So the Edomites and the people of Israel were continually at war with one another. Again, we already mentioned gold and frankincense. Christmas is on our minds. King Herod, who tried to kill Jesus after the Magi came from the east, King Herod was not Jewish, although he called himself the king of the Jews. King Herod, the one who wanted to kill King Jesus, was an Edomite. There is this multi-generational struggle between the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob. But God says something surprising here. The main character, there's a plot twist. This isn't how you would expect it to go. He says, the older shall serve the younger. That's unexpected because they practiced in the ancient Near East, they practiced primogeniture, where the double portion went to the firstborn. That, that was to be completely accepted and understood, but God goes against the grain like God so often does. Culture says this, and God says, mm, no, I'm gonna do it my way. And so God says the older will serve the younger. Remember, Abel was younger than Cain, and God accepted Abel's sacrifice. The original audience is going to, as the story unfolds, they're going to know that Judah, who's to become the, the royal tribe of the people of Israel, was younger than Reuben, the firstborn. They're also going to remember the story of Joseph's children with Ephraim and Manasseh, and the younger was blessed instead of, instead of the older. And all throughout the history of the people of Israel, the, the, this idea of the younger the, the underprivileged, the unexpected, the underdog. And think about David. He was younger. He had six older brothers. The older shall serve the younger. God works in surprising ways. He's the main character. So the first came out. This is the older, the one who would normally receive the, the blessing and would, ser would be served by the rest of the family. It says, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they, came, so they called his name Esau. They called him Harry. That's what Esau means. Verse 26, afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Jacob means heel grabber. The little twin brother reached out and grabbed his older brother's heel, which in, uh, uh, in a Hebrew culture and in that language, to be a heel grabber meant to be a deceiver, a trickster, 
someone who's, who's going to try to grab your heel and trip you up, who's going to sneak up behind you and injure you without warning, someone who can't be trusted. And Jacob is not, sorry if your name is Jacob, um, Jake Jacob is here. He's got, his, his name is Jake Jacob. He's got, he's got that name twice. And, uh, but it, it is a name of, of grace. And it means heel grabber, someone who, who can't be uh, trusted. And they have very, very different callings, different personalities. Verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. While Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents, so they had different interests, different personalities. Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see here the seed of what's actually going to grow into a very bitter root. This is a very unhealthy family situation where you have favoritism. The father had a favorite son. The, the mother had a favorite son. That's very, very, very unhealthy. But again, these are not the main characters. God is the main character. And the book of Genesis is not a manual of how to find a wife. It's not a manual of how to manage your family. It's not a manual of how to live this way or that way. No, it's a story of God. And how God uses broken people and broken families and broken situations to accomplish his purpose. So God's purpose expands to all, to all generations and all nations. God's purpose is fulfilled through delays and difficulties. And then thirdly, God's purpose depends on his grace and not our works. It depends on his grace and not our works. At the beginning of the story, Isaac and Rebecca look great. They're praying, they're trusting God, they're enduring through difficulty. But then the kids are born, they don't look so great. They're showing favoritism to one versus the other. And then you would expect, if there's prophecy made about these two children, that the older shall serve the younger, you would expect that it would become very, very clear that, well, there's something about the younger one. That he was better somehow. That he was more godly, more righteous, but... That's not how it turns out. It turns out that it's not about Jacob doing everything right or even Esau doing everything wrong. They both do everything wrong. But they're not the main character. God is the main character. So in chapter 25, verse 29, it says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, because he liked to stay in the tent, he's, he's grilling, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called uh, Edom. Edom means red. So he's called hairy, and he's called red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Esau comes in from the field and he's exhausted. This was an opportunity for Jacob 
to show kindness, to show hospitality, to show generosity, to show compassion. His brother was out working, and now he's tired, and, he's, and Jacob already had food on hand. But Jacob chose not to be generous or compassionate or kind. Jacob decided to take advantage of his brother at a moment of weakness. Jacob would have known the promise. He would have known the prophecy that although he was the heel grabber, that the older shall serve the younger. Jacob could have just trusted and said, God, how are you going to work all of this out? Esau is stronger than me. He's a skillful hunter. My father loves Esau more than me, but God, I'm going to trust you. You're a way maker. You're going to work this out for me. But instead, Jacob says, how can I manipulate this situation to turn out the way that I want it? Jacob is a heel grabber. Jacob here had a good desire. He, he wanted the birthright. He was thinking long term. So he had the right values, but he didn't have any virtue. To to have the right values is to want the right thing, but virtue is doing the right thing. Values is the birthright, that's that's a good end. But virtue and manipulating your brother, that's, that's the means. And rather than trusting God, Jacob took matters into his own hands and his hand was holding a pot of stew but listen to Esau he says in verse 32 I'm about to die what use is my birthright to me he's like you want to talk about a birthright I'm going to die right now now Esau is clearly exaggerating I mean he could have just gone to his mom and dad and said Jacob's doing it again (laughs) do you guys have anything to anything to eat Jacob wasn't in charge of rationing out the food. Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah could have sorted this out. But Esau is so impatient. He saw what he wanted. He smelled what he wanted. He felt what he wanted. And nothing was going to stop him from getting what he wanted. He thinks he's about to die. You ever want something so bad? You feel like you'll, you'll die if you can't have it? Esau is sort of the quintessential example of just thinking in the moment. All that matters right now is what I want, what I need. Esau is laser focused on that. It's, it, the thing is, it's only lentil stew. I mean, it's not even a good stew. Sorry if you're a big lentil fan. He says, I'm about to die. He says, what use is my birthright? What use is your birthright? You see, Esau, again, he thinks he's the main character in his story. And the main character wants stew. And the main character is not thinking about the birthright. Remember, this birthright is not just about Isaac. It's not just about Esau or Jacob. This birthright is about a blessing for all the nations. But Esau didn't see that. All Esau saw and recognized was what he wanted. So verse 33, Jacob says, swear to me. Jacob says, don't worry about the, don't worry about the fine print. Click here to agree to all the terms and conditions. He knew that 
Esau was just focused on that stew and wasn't really thinking about the long-term consequences of his action. And it says that, that Esau, in verse uh, 34, despised his birthright. Edom sounds a, light, a lot like Adam. And Adam, for the sake of food, gave up his inheritance for having dominion over the whole world. And he was deceived. And here Edom is giving up his whole inheritance. And he was deceived. He wasn't thinking long term. This is not a good look for Esau. And this is also not a good look for Jacob. But remember who the main character is. That we serve a God who is perfect and who works with crooked people to, to draw a straight line. He, and God's purpose depends on his grace and not on our works. If this was up to works, Jacob and Esau, neither of them would receive the birthright or the blessing. And neither would have Abraham. But it's not about their perfection. It is about God's perfection and God's promise. And what's true for Jacob and Esau is true for us as well. The, the Apostle Paul, uh, when he's thinking about the amazing grace of God, in Romans chapter 9, verses 10 to 16, he says, When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, notice this, and had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Now again, this was the way the Hebrew people spoke. This isn't about uh, thinking vitriol or or. or, or malice against someone else. Jesus said, if, if you're gonna follow me, you gotta hate your father and mother. Well, you, you still have to love them and look after them. That's part of following Jesus. But it's a, it's a choice, it's a decision. You can't serve God and money. You have to love one and hate the other. It doesn't mean you have nothing to do with money or nothing to do with your family. It's just that you have them in the proper priority. He's quoting the book of Malachi there. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? It doesn't seem fair. Why did God choose Jacob and not choose Esau? Paul says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. You might be wondering, well, why wouldn't God choose Esau? Well, the same question needs to be asked, well, why on earth did God choose Jacob? Neither of them deserve to be chosen. And, and it's only because of God's mercy that Jacob received the birthright and the blessing. And we're in Jacob's shoes, so to speak. Ephesians chapter 1, we've just gone through the book of Ephesians in our small groups. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose Jacob before he was born. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Not because we are holy and blameless, but that we will be holy and blameless because of his grace. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Because God chose us and because we don't deserve it, the main character gets the praise for his grace. We don't get the praise for our good works. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Jacob obtained the inheritance, not because he deserved it, but because of grace. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, in some way you chose to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. We sing that, we mean that, we believe that. But really, at the end of the day, you chose to follow Jesus because Jesus chose you. Because if it were any other way around, if it were because of your works, then we would be the ones getting the glory. Look at what we did. We deserve eternal life. We deserve forgiveness. No, Jesus is the one who deserves all the praise and the glory. Now, some of you are thinking, well, how does this all fit together? I don't understand. Esau made a bad choice. He, he was only thinking in the moment. So he... he he gave up his birth. He decided to give up his birthright, but God had decided in advance. How does all of this fit together? Well, it's a bit of a mystery, actually. Uh, our doctrinal statement summarizes it, summarizes it in this way. It says, it's God's divine decision to save a person, and it's God's kindness, forbearance, and patience that lead that person to repentance. The Bible also teaches that each person is re responsible to embrace or reject Jesus as Savior and Lord, and that God welcomes all who come to him by faith apart from works. Both of these truths, God's sovereignty in salvation and man's decision to embrace Christ are taught in the scriptures. Their coexistence is a mystery and is completely understood only in the mind of our omniscient God. All glory for the salvation of every believer belongs to God alone. So loved ones, God is sovereign in choosing. He chose Jacob, but at the same time, Esau chose to give up his birthright. Both of these things work together. But in the life of Esau, there is a, a distinct warning here a warning to make sure that we are thinking long-term. A warning to make sure that we aren't living like we are the main character and us getting pleasure and us getting what we want is the main thing in our lives. And you could be here today and you could be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can love him and, and you have asked him for your forgiveness and you have received the filling of the Holy Spirit, but your heart has become hard. And, and, and you have started to pursue things on your own and doing things your own way. Be warned by the life of Esau. Don't give up your inheritance for lentil stew. It is not worth it. God's ways are best. And it is not about you. It is about him and his glory. Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes the story. He says, uh, in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 12, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Listen, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy 
like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, and not even a good meal. Notice how the sexually immoral is lumped in with Esau. There was a particular organ that was driving Esau's actions, his stomach. And the desires of his stomach took control. I have to fulfill these desires, this physical desire inside of me. Sexual immorality, same problem, different organ. And I know, I'm a red-blooded man. I know what it's like to have desires. I know what it's like to be a young man and to have desires that seem to just overcome and drive. But don't be like Esau. Don't allow the impulses of your flesh in getting what you think you can't live without. Esau said, I'm going to die if I don't eat something. The desire was so strong. Sometimes sexual desire or other desires can be so strong and tempting. Don't do it. It's only lentil stew. There is a cost. Think long term. There is brokenness that was brought into Esau's life or that could be brought into your life. Do not live like Esau. Don't live like Jacob either, but at least Jacob was thinking long term. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've been living your life just following this particular organ or that particular organ or, or just living according to your own desires, pursuing your own pleasure as though you were your own main character in your story. Today is the day for you to turn and to repent, to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Savior who died for you. And he has a purpose for your life and he is calling you to himself today not because of your good works. No one has good works. But because of his grace giving us what we don't deserve. Loved ones, whether you're a Christian who's wandering or you are a non-Christian who's here trying to learn about following Jesus, today is the day to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus so that you can be forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit and the gift of eternal life. That is the birthright that belongs to Jesus and that's available to us. Loved ones, we're going to witness a, a baptism uh, this morning, which is, a, again, a perfect picture that, that, that God's purpose extends to all generations and to all nations and that his purpose is, is, is displayed and extended throughout delays and difficulties and that we are saved not by our works but by his grace.